You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of Neighbors and Nations. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm really glad you've joined in today and are listening, and I think you'll be really pleased with our interview today. Uh, I had the privilege of interviewing Chase Abner. He's a lead church planting catalyst for the SIN Network, also coordinated with the North American Mission Board. And one of the things I love about Chase, and I told him this, and you'll hear this even in the interview, I believe, is is Chase is one of the, the best group facilitators I've ever seen. I've been in several discussions and meetings with Chase, and he has a way of drawing things out of you, planting things even in you, and of bringing points of discussion to the surface uh, in a beautiful way. Uh, and he, he causes you to think um, and to ponder, to wonder. And I love this about Chase, and uh, I found this to even happen in the in this interview. And so. I think you'll you'll love to hear Chase's story of his time in college ministry, of the impact someone had on him, and how he's now kind of paying that forward, shall we say. And so without any more introduction or any more information, here's my interview with Chase Abner on this week's edition of Neighbors and Nations. Welcome again to another edition of Neighbors and Nations. I am really pleased today to have a good friend of mine on the broadcast, Chase Abner. Hello, Chase. How are you, buddy? Doing good, Todd. Thanks for having me. Great. You know, I have several guests on here, and sometimes I don't know them real well, but it's good to have a guy on here that I know, and uh, I'm excited to hear more about your story and and get to know you even better. And so let's start there if we can. Uh, From what I do know about you, you were saved in college or grad school, kind of in that time frame, walk us through your story of conversion. And it obviously is a little later, perhaps, than maybe what some folks would expect. So, yeah, I'd love to hear that. I grew up attending church. I had parents who took me uh, to hear the Bible taught and had me involved in kids ministry and going to youth group and those kind of things. So uh, even from an early age, I was exposed to truths about Christ and God's world and so I'm very thankful for that, uh, that, that I had those type of neighbors in my life in the form of my parents who, who were concerned. But for me, and I don't fault them, I don't fault the church I was a part of. You know, I think it's ultimately up, up to God and it's his, in his hands and his timing that um, I was really concerned for most of my childhood and young adult years with morality and not with holiness. And so I wanted to be good. I wanted people to like me. I wanted to to succeed at school and at work and things like that. Um, but again, I didn't have a concept of holiness or like the righteousness of God. And so uh, I was, I believed in God and I believed uh, that he was real. Uh, and I believe that I didn't want to go to hell. So I tried to just figure it out whatever it took to not do that. And so I was the type of nominal Christian who would have said, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus. Um, but it, it didn't go much further than that. I didn't hate sin. I didn't love God. I just didn't want him to send me to hell. <laughs> and so I uh, didn't love the church. I didn't have all the key birthmarks of somebody who was born again in Christ. And that continued through my, my undergraduate degree. 
back at Moorhead State University. Again, I had a lot of the external things right. I read my Bible regularly, wasn't super involved in church, um, prayed before my meals in public, argued with atheists online, you know, all the things that you're supposed to do, I guess, if you're a good good Christian. Uh, But I didn't really have love uh, in, in my heart for God and for others in the way that I should. So my senior year of college, I was making, you know, another big decision about what I was going to do post-college. And I had a lot of options uh, that I was running through, but ultimately I realized that what I'd been training to do wasn't what I wanted to do. I'd, I'd worked in television news, done some internships with CBS affiliates and just didn't want to go down that path. And, uh, I had no vision for what else I might do and was really afraid of trying to enter some other field, uh, and joining the workforce. And so I thought, well, I'm good at school, so I'll stick with that. I applied to grad school in one place, uh, Southern Illinois university in Carbondale. And I got in, I uh, was an awarded an assistantship. So school was going to be paid for and I would have a job. And, uh, that was all, you know, really exciting to me, but also terrifying because I was going to be moving about seven hours away from my nearest family members. And, and my girlfriend at the time, Alicia, who, who's become my wife. So it was really uncharacteristic of me to want to get that far away from what was safe and comfortable. Uh, but, but in God's providence, he was putting me in a place where I would ultimately realize he's the only thing I can depend on eternally. And so uh, in hindsight, I can see that. So I, I remember even praying this way, Todd. Well, this is what I'm doing. I hope it's what you want. <laughs> Never bothered to ask him beforehand if that's what he wanted, but, but, but jumped in. And so again, and, and I, I knew one person in all of Illinois and he was a guy who'd gone to Moorhead State also. And we lived in the same dorm. And so I called him up and said, Hey, I'm looking for a place to live in Carbondale. Could you help me out? And uh, nothing was materializing until about a month before I was to move there for training he said, Hey, somebody moved out of our apartment. Do you want to move in? And I jumped all over it. Cause I wanted, I wanted to live with somebody I knew. I didn't want to live alone. Didn't want to live with strangers. So that worked out. And, and then I found out that his other roommate was a Baptist campus minister. <laughs> and so, uh, I got really nervous about it. I, was like, I don't know if I want to live with a minister. I'm afraid he's going to go through my music and movies and throw all my stuff out and judge me. And, so I was concerned, but that was all outweighed by just my desire to to live with somebody I knew and to have, have a friend close by. And so uh, I move in and that other roommate was a man named Dominic Menard, who served as the Baptist Collegiate Ministry Director there at SIU. And he and I hit it off super well. Uh, he was a musician and I was a musician. So we just had a lot in common. And uh, he just, he was a friend to me. He was about 10 years older than I was. Um, but it was just a, a friend to me and concerned for me and brought me along uh, to things he did. And um, pretty quickly I started realizing through that relationship with Dominic, that what he had with Jesus was different than what I had with Jesus. And I tried to rationalize it in a lot of different ways, you know, Oh, he's a different denomination. He's from Texas originally. You know, you just try to find, I tried to find reasons why, I didn't have to enjoy God or be excited about my faith the way that Dominic was. Um, But it was winsome to me. Like it wasn't just something he did on Sundays or because he had to, it was just who he was. Uh, He enjoyed God and was thankful. And, and uh, I was wooed by that. I I wanted that in my life. And 
Um, so that fall, again, he, he introduced me to other students and other folks who were super nice and cared for me and just made me feel welcome and part of a community. And they invited me to go to this collegiate conference thing that they were doing, the statewide conference that was about four hours away in Decatur. I felt like, man, that sounds like a youth group thing. I'm a grown man. Like, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to go to this youth group event. Uh, and, but, but folks in that community and uh, that ministry that Dominic was leaving, leading, they said, no, I think you'll like it. And because they'd only ever been good to me and because they had been a friend to me, I trusted them that I would get something out of that event. And so I went and, and God just really put his finger on me, Todd. It was for the first time in my life. I think I really felt convicted that I had sinned against God. You know, I had moral guilt and was afraid that people would find out uh, things that I had done and be disappointed in me. Uh, but that was the first time I realized and understood the holiness of God and that my sin was ultimately sin against him. Uh, but simultaneously, I felt freedom. And so the car ride home from that event, I remember confessing sin to the guys I was with and feeling free. It was like I knew that if God knew the worst things about me and still loved me and accepted me because of Christ, then I didn't care who in the world knew how terrible, terrible of a person that I had been. And so, uh, so yeah, at the time, Todd, I thought I was just, you know, rededicating my life or getting more serious about my faith. But, okay. but as I got, as I learned more about the scriptures and, and what, what true faith was, I realized that that was really when I was born again, when I'd made that, uh, I'd, I'd been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There's so many uh, things in there that really speak to neighbors. Uh, and I love the way you talked about uh, the winsomeness of people or how you know they woo you in. And really, it's God overall drawing you into himself. Other than Dominic, and maybe you want to expand more on Dominic's role, but who are some of the neighbors in your life that you're looking back now? You can say, man, God used them evangelistically in my life. Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned my parents already, like taking me to church and exposing me uh, to the Lord. Um, so that that's a big part of my story. I had a lot in my head that was true uh, that I knew about the Bible because of their faithfulness just to, to take me to church. So that, that that's critical. I can't I can't underestimate uh, the impact that that's had. And, and once God's spirit came into me and I, and I was born again, that knowledge and information was already there for me to put to use and in, in growing in my faith and sharing my faith with others. So, um, you know, I remember pastors that I had at that church growing up. Lori Keck is a man who uh, is just one of the most kindest, gentle people that I can think of, you know, who really exhibited the spirit and the love of Christ to people um, and investing his life into a community that, really was, you know, not, not a fun place to be. You know, there's a lot of hard things in, in Southeastern Kentucky where I grew it up, but um, yeah, so he was, he was a light uh, for sure in my, in my early years. And then when I think about grad school and the relationships, Dominic was probably the key, the key figure for me uh, because he just went so out of his way. And it's funny, he doesn't remember he doesn't remember it that way. He doesn't remember like giving me any special attention, but like he just made me feel so loved and, and important and, and mattered. And, and it just made a huge, huge impact. There has to be something in there that relates to when Paul said, you know, some plant and some water, but God gives the growth. I mean, your story is even as I'm hearing it now. I and mean, that's like a perfect current example of that because 
you have all these people that planted seeds in you, some watered them. And to hear you talk about it, you know, they were important, like your parents. I mean, thank God they sowed so many seeds because that's what sprouted later. And that, they, that you know, maybe Dom, Dominic uh, watered those with his winsomeness. So I think your story just really makes me delight in that truth that as neighbors, you know, when we're not going way across the ocean or doing something radical or holding a big crusade, but in normal daily seed sowing, we're probably doing more than we realize that God will use one day. Maybe talk about that for a minute with those who are listening. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that we have a tendency to put way too much pressure on ourselves as Christians to be every part of the process and someone's conversion. Um, you know, that we want to be the person who plants and who waters and who reaps. And we, we want to experience that. And, and maybe on our good days, it's coming from a place of, of a, a pure place where we want to mm. honor God mm. and glorify him and do all that we can. But I think on our more common days, it's, because we want to be the hero. And I know that's true in my life. Like I want to, I want to get the credit. I want to be acknowledged as the person who uh, walked someone from, from, you know, being far from God to being on fire and passionate to live for him. But if we're just faithful in the common things and seek out the opportunities and try to be steady and consistent, the long obedience in the right direction, I think yes. God uses that more yes. than we realize uh, in people's lives. and. You know, I think about relationships where God has been giving me more of a you know front row seat to someone's conversion. Even in those moments, I can see how I played just such a small, small part in that story uh, that maybe I was there who, as the person who was very direct about Jesus and what the Bible says, but there were a lot of people in the orbit of that individual who who provided in some way a validation that the things that Chase is saying about the Bible and about Jesus are true. Yeah. That's uh that's just excellent. I didn't know a lot of those details, Chase. Thanks for sharing those. It is a wonderful testimony to what John four says when it says, you know, some, um, so and some reap, but we all rejoice together. Like hearing your story, man, my heart sings for you right now. I'm just so thankful for all those people who were close to you, who leaned into you with the gospel and God saved you. And now he's using you uh, in, in unique ways here. So let's talk about that for a bit. Uh, fast forward to what you're doing now. You actually work for the North American mission board. Uh, you're a lead church planting catalyst. I think that's your title, correct? Yep. That's it. And uh, your main area of oversight or influence is Iowa. And do you mainly work with college students uh, and helping them plant or to work with anyone who wants to plant? Yeah, it's working with anybody who wants to plant. And, and I, I do have some responsibilities as a collegiate church planning catalyst nationally, but but the main focus of my work is seeing more healthy, gospel-centered, multiplying churches planted across the state of Iowa. And so, uh, Todd, you know this, we, we believe churches plant churches, so it's not me planting churches or, or Send Network. It's, it's local churches doing it. We come alongside to, to help them do that. And so uh, if there's a college student that pops up in that, uh, in that story, that's interested in being a part of church planning and playing a role, then absolutely. But, but more often than not, my, my relationships are with pastors and uh, older leaders who are about that task. 
So does man. But it wasn't always the case, though. It wasn't always the case to spend a lot of years working in college ministry, of course. So does Nam refer to you still as a missionary? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's what they refer. Our field staff serve as missionaries. Okay. So I'm going to kind of poke a little bit here. Uh, I know sure. you like these kind of conversations because I want you to kind of maybe give us even some of your own personal opinion. To be a missionary, do you have to, in your opinion, do you have to cross a barrier, like a language barrier? And, or is it just anyone who is, you know, receives support for their work or how do you define the word missionary as opposed to maybe someone like you uh, who's just local there in Ames and you're working in Iowa? Does that make sense? What I'm after, like, what distinguishes yeah. your role as missionary from, let's say, the guy who's working in uh, Cairo? <laughs> Are you both missionaries? Yeah, you're trying to stir a pot, man. You're trying to <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to get me in trouble. Um, you know, I think there's really good dialogue to be had about the definition of minis- missionary, and uh, I, I value words. It's it's important to me. They have meaning. And uh, I think we lose a lot when we use the wrong word for the wrong thing. But on this particular topic, I, I tend to think of missionaries or all believers in some way serve as missionaries. They're, they're sent ones, you know, they're, they're sent by God with the gospel <laughs> uh, to make Jesus known wherever it is that God gives them a sphere of influence. And, and there are some of us who get a, a, an opportunity to do that vocationally. We get to serve and think about those things and, and, and have the privilege of having a paycheck connected to that. And uh, it's a very important thing. And, um, but I I can't, I can't let myself get too bogged down on on who, who is a missionary and who isn't because I can't find a Bible verse that says, this is what we call a missionary. And this person we don't call a missionary, but what's true of every believer is that they're called to, to love God and to make him known wherever it is. He sends them. Yeah. I was just more curious than anything. Um, if Nam still kind of called their staff that, um, mm-hmm. so just more out of curiosity. Um, I know working with college students like you do, uh, and you have in the past, of course, more, there is sometimes within college students, a ripeness for global work that perhaps, and I don't want to say as you age, you lose it, but perhaps your ability to maneuver towards it seems to dissipate. Uh, yeah. Why do you think college students, are so ripe, not only for neighbor work, like church planting locally, but for, for gospel work internationally. Yeah. So uh, the, one of the reasons that I like working with college students, Todd, is that, that they're still young enough to believe they can change the world. And, and I don't mean that they can't or that older people (laughs) can't change the world, but there, there's just a passion and, um, a desire to see their lives count for something much bigger than themselves that uh, I just love to see that infused with, with a gospel lens so that they, when they think about making their mark on the world and changing the world, they're thinking about it through the lens of what is the only thing that can change the world, which is the truth mm-hmm. of Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. And so um so one, one of that, one piece of that ripeness is more, maybe it's not the ripeness. It's just more the opportunity I see for the church to impact neighbors and nations is by tapping into that, that force that, that exists among the young adults in our, in our world. And so they're making so many decisions about who they're going to be and how they're going to spend their life and who they'll be associated with that. Uh, it's just an opportunity that we can't miss. 
as the church. And so, um, so, so strategic. And so the other piece of that is college students, you know, and there's a lot of debate, of course, over the, the value of a college education these days and how much it actually costs you and school loans. And there's a lot of debate over all of that. But the statistics tell, tell us that those with a college degree have significantly more earning power than those who don't in American society today and around the world. And so um, that reality means that college students are able to, to find jobs and make a living a lot more places. They're, they're mobile in that way. They're able to, to find work in places that other people might and make a living where other people might. And so that's important. Plus most of them are, are unattached. They're, they're yet married and they, most of them don't have kids either. And so being able to, to pack up their lives and, and then plant it somewhere new uh, doesn't cost as much as it might for, for a guy like me, who's almost 40 and has three kids, you know, in elementary and middle school. So, uh, those factors just make them so deployable in terms of the mission of God, whether it is church planning domestically or internationally. And, and here's the other piece of it. I have this conversation regularly with students that I'm discipling and they're deciding what they should do post-college. And a lot of them, it, they, they, get worried maybe about, well, if I do this for two years, is that going to hurt my earning potential long-term if I return to engineering or, you know, and, and so just reminding that like, man, you, you know, Lord willing, you've got a lot of time to build a career, uh, but you won't have a lot of time uh, to invest your lives in, in ways that involve risk from a human perspective of moving your life somewhere new. And so, uh, just reminding them of that reality, like, hey, so what if you do ministry for a couple of years and decide it's not for you and go back into engineering? Might that hurt your earning potential long term? Yeah, maybe like 1%, 2%. But like, what does that matter in the uh, eternal scheme of things? So just tapping into that energy and that opportunity and reminding them that um, this is real. This is ultimately what they're here for. And I think that um, isn't there a I don't want to use the word program, but isn't there an opportunity for college students called go to in which they could actually spend a couple of years with an SBC missionary? Yeah. Go to years.net is a, is a clearinghouse uh, for those opportunities that are uh, it's a project of JD Greer, the current president of the Southern Baptist convention, and then the North American mission board and the international mission board to help students who feel a call and want to commit two years post-college to helping plant churches domestically and internationally. And so that call is out there, like consider giving two years post-college, go plant your life somewhere strategically for the gospel for two years, maybe more, but start with two years and see what God would do. And so, yeah, we're really encouraged students to, to seek out those opportunities. We're highlighting a number of the send cities, the, the more strategic cities that we've identified in North America uh, based on population size and presence of evangelical churches. Uh, and then, of course, you know, IMB has used the phrase limitless to refer to the opportunities outside of North America for, for students to live on mission. I think the go-to uh, opportunity is a great way for pastors to kind of hold two postures, which is both the local and global. And sometimes, you know, we, we tend to lean one way or the other, but that, you know, in which you can go to a sin city or you could go to a international city, but they're saying both matter. Neighbors and nations both matter. So I appreciate you bringing, you bringing some more clarity and some help, helpful understanding of that. I, I think it's a great way for pastors to, continue to hold both those postures. Tell me this in your role as a church 
planting catalyst, working with pastors and churches. How do you help, let's say, young church planter not forget one or the other? How can you help them maintain a both a nations and neighbors mindset as they plant? Yeah, I think I think that's a challenge, Todd. But one of the things that I see is that pastors and planters who are attracted to the Southern Baptist Convention to the Send Network already have that heartbeat because they know that the way that we cooperate together for missions is a both and. Amen right? When they that. give when they give to the cooperative program, it's it's both, right? Some of those dollars stay and help do ministry locally in Iowa and in North America, but the majority of those dollars go to the international mission board, which is helping uh, reach the nations. And so, so one, that DNA is already there in, in, in some degree and in, in every pastor and planter who partners with us, um, how it plays out practically beyond just their cooperative program giving, that's a little bit more challenging. Um, and for many of the planters, I think, and maybe it's rightly so. They they never forget the importance of the nations, but the, the more pressing need in terms of what God's called them to do immediately is reaching neighbors and reaching those in, in their city. And so I don't stress out too much about that if, if they're not talking as much. But, you know, the other piece of it is um, when I think about the world being flat, to use Alan Friedman's term, and how we're connected to the nations, we're connected cross-culturally so much because of the digital age that we live in and knowing that even in America, you know, by what, 2040, 2050, maybe that there won't be a majority ethnicity. There's a continued um, intermingling of ethnicities and cultures in America that even if you're planting in a very monolithic place in Iowa, where there's very few, maybe less than 3% folks who are, aren't white, um, we want to, to reach people and disciple people to be world Christians. And so even if your focus is reaching a place that's, that's mostly majority culture, whether it's Adel or Albia or one of the other small uh, county seat type towns in Iowa, we want to disciple people who, who see the whole world as God's world. And we want them to be equipped with the right theology and anthropology and sociology so that if God does call them to a bigger city with more diversity and, and more nations present, or he calls them overseas, that they're already equipped with the right worldview to, to see the gospel make an impact in those places. Man, those are some great nuggets. I, I love hearing that. Um, you've talked about two words for a couple of years that I've really enjoyed. You said in regards to some of these small towns in Iowa, the place that uh, the state that you're planted right now, that they're um, overchurched, but under gospel, two words I've heard you use a lot. Give us more insight into that because a lot of folks might hear about Iowa and think what needs, ha- what needs to happen there. It seems like it's a, a done deal. So you would say it's overchurched under gospel. Yeah. Yeah, in many ways, that's that's who I was when I was a grad student back in Carbondale back in 2003 as a guy who had a lot of moralism, uh, had an awareness of God, uh, knew a lot of Bible stories, but didn't have a love for Jesus and his mission. And so I, I think that's true in a lot of America and particularly in the South. Maybe we could nuance that term to be over Baptisted and under gospel, but uh but here in Iowa, Todd, according to research from the Census Bureau and Pew Research, we know that about 70% or more of Iowans identify as Christian. 
So if you ask them to, you know, when they fill out the census data, if they're putting their religious affiliation on there, the, the majority of Iowans would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But only about 15% of Iowans say that they regularly attend uh, an evangelical church. And by evangelical church, I, I, that means roughly one that believes the Bible to be true, that believes people need a born again experience, uh, and that believers have uh, a mission from God to see other people come to know Jesus. So only about 15% of Iowans um, are a part of churches that, that believe those things. And I, I'm not here to throw mainline churches or anyone other, any particular denomination or stream under the bus. So uh, don't get me wrong on that. But, but I think that statistic tells us that even though majority of Iowans may have an awareness of church and awareness of God, they're not linked up with other believers who are focused on those things and growing together to be about the mission of God in this place. And, and even more than that, when I use the term under gospel, I mean, people who've, who understand that peace with God doesn't come from working harder. Peace with God doesn't come from attending a event or being in a certain place for an hour or two every Sunday morning. Like it, it being gospel means believing that Jesus has rescued you from your sin and that because of your faith in him, that you have peace with God. And there's no other way to do that. You can't do anything that's going to make him love you more. You can't do anything that's going to make him separate that love because he's chosen intention to, to save you, redeem you, adopt you into his family on his own. And, and, and most people, again, like me, when I, was, when I was a young man, even though I was church, I didn't get that reality. And I think that's true uh, for the majority of people here in the state of Iowa. So let me serve you up an opportunity to recruit, let's say, someone to Iowa. Let's say that one of our listeners is sensing a call or maybe um, he's God stirring his heart and he's thinking church planting. Maybe you're part of a puzzle in his life and God's using you. Make an appeal to this person like, hey, here's why Iowa should be on your radar. Yeah. Well, Todd, you've heard me say this so many times that that Iowa – it, church planting in Iowa, it, it's necessary, uh, it's exciting, and it's possible. And so it's necessary because of those things we were just talking about, the percentage of folks who would identify as Christian but don't actually have a meaningful relationship with Jesus as evidenced by their lack of participation in a healthy local church. So it's necessary. We've got cities, we've got small towns, we've got rural areas, we've got river towns, we've got uh, you know just a number of places uh, where there is, there isn't a healthy gospel presence or there's not enough based on the size of the population. Uh, I say it's exciting because we see God doing really cool stuff in, mm. in all of those types of places. Uh, you know, we, we have guys planting even right now in the middle of a pandemic who are hustling and seeing people come to know Jesus, seeing lives changed. And, and that's just remarkable. And, and I think it's evidence that God's at work here and, and it's fruit of, um, fruit of our cooperation, fruit of our uh, desire to be a brotherhood of leaders or our family of leaders for the men and women who are participating in the mission of God through church planting in Iowa. And it's possible. Todd, there's resources, there's, there's training, there's the networking, and there is money to help these things happen. And so, so a guy who's thinking about church planting in Iowa, just the, the opportunity is really great right now. Our systems are in place and we have people that are about it and you're not going to be alone. And um, I'd love for, for folks who are listening and, and maybe feel a sense that they're, they're called to it to, 
to jump in, raise their hand, let their pastor know, let me know, let Todd Styles know. And we would love to help you figure out what your next step is. Maybe you won't ever be a lead church planter, but, but we have opportunities for you to serve and be a part of what God's doing. And, and I'd love to love to be a part of that puzzle, as you said, Todd, to help, help those people find that opportunity. And I would also say like, just make disciples where you are until God gives you a clear next step of where he may be calling you as a church planter. I always quote J.D. Payne. I don't know if he said it originally, but he's the one I give credit for it. But he says, if you plant a church, you might get disciples. But if you make disciples, you always get a church. And so if you're feeling a call to church planting, make sure that your heart is in in disciple making first and foremost. Um, Some guys may be uh, scared away from church planting because they don't feel like they can coordinate an event that we call a church service but they love sharing the word with people and they love having people at their dinner table and talking about Jesus and what matters. And really that's the secret sauce of church planning. If anything, the event is great and it's an effective tool in a place like Iowa where, where people are familiar with church services, but really uh, what makes for a successful church planter in Iowa is a guy who, who has a heartbeat to make disciples personally. Amen. I would echo every bit of that as someone who works with you. I hope more people will give uh, our state some strong consideration, especially like you said, in those rural towns or those river towns. So that I think one of your goals is that we have a multiplying church within an hour of every Iowan. Is did I say that correctly or correct me if I didn't? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to we'd love to see that. And we also have a focus on on the county seat towns. We'd love to see a healthy multiplying church in every uh, county seat across Iowa. And if we hit that, I think those, those goals kind of overlap. <laughs> if we can hit one or the other, we're going to have the, the same impact we believe. And so uh, just two different ways to think about um, our strategy. Mm-hmm. And one thing I love that you and I both share is, and this is where neighbors and nations really, uh, they, they stay connected is the more healthy churches we can plant, then really the greater help will give those who are reaching the nations. And so it's, it's just a, like you said, a cooperative strategy that's working. So thank you for your investment and just helping us plant more gospel centered nation loving churches. And you're right. The world is flattening. So a lot of times they're here close to us. So I I just so thankful that you have a heart for both. Hey, let's, uh, as we kind of wrap this up, let's have a little chase Abner unplugged for a minute. So let me ask you a couple of questions that may be a little more difficult. Um, What's the hardest part of sharing your faith for you personally? That's the first question. And then maybe what's the hardest aspect of your job of catalyzing church planting through churches and pastors? So yeah, what's the most difficult part of sharing your faith and the hardest aspect of your job? Yeah. So the, the hardest part of sharing my faith um, currently seems really connected to stage of life that I'm in. When, when I was younger, I had more free time. I had fewer or no kids, just the margins I had to build relationships with people and to interact. Um, it was just, yeah, I had, I had a multitude of time. And again, this is connected to my heartbeat to, to reach and deploy college students because it's such a unique season of, of, of life and a window of time that they have. Um, so now, you know, I'm, I mentioned earlier, I'm almost 40, got a full-time job. I got three kids and they have their activities and, and the people who I'd have most natural connections with, my neighbors or, or, or the uh, 
parents of my kids' classmates and those kind of things, they're just as busy as I am. And so uh, finding just those times where you can build depth of relationship and, and, and proclaim the gospel to people, but also let them see that it, it actually changes you. It's not just something you, you know, put on a sign or your Facebook profile, but it actually is something that influences who you are, how you work, how you sleep, how you take your meals, how you spend your free time. Um, th- that window feels really small at this season of my life. And so that's the, the most challenging thing for me. I've never been good at just the one-off share the gospel with somebody I didn't know. Uh, I've seen God bring a lot more fruit in those people who've been able to, to not just get a drive-by presentation, but have actually seen how it plays out in my life. And, and, and that's what's hard right now. Finding That's your finding story. Oh, yeah. That's Dominic to you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And man, I want to riff on that just for a second. I, I used to say this was true of young people, but I think it's, it's actually grown because as the digital age has increased and the availability of information and, and all generations now to some degree are, you know, pretty comfortable with technology and accessing information. Um, information's so cheap, Todd. And so if it feels like someone, all I'm giving them is information about a religion, they don't care what I have to say. They can listen to the podcast themselves. They can go to Wikipedia and read the article. They can, they can take seminary level classes for free online. Just find a, a, an institution that offers that. They can listen to it. They can get all the information about God that I have. Uh, and it's cheap and it doesn't really matter to them unless they know it can change somebody. And they're not going to see that from what I post online or what I say in a one-off conversation. They're going to see that through the way that I parent my kids, uh, through the, through the way that I love my wife, through the way that I sacrifice myself for the sake, sake of others. And so, um, so that was true in my story. Again, growing up with a lot of the information, going to Sunday school, listening to sermons from the time I was born and, until the time I was born again at 22. Um, but it was once I had people up close around me that I saw that, man, what they say they believe makes a difference mm. day and night for them. That That's what changed. Yeah. Like context is better than just the cheap delivery. Yeah. So and it's a both saying. end. I'm not, you know, there's folks who are great at that, you know, contact evangelism. We would call it door to door, just meet somebody. And, um, Again, it, it goes back to that, you know, that seed sowing, mm-hmm. the watering, the reaping, like that can be part, part of it. Um, but I know the way that God's used me most effectively has been in that longer game of, of showing, yes, the proclamation, but also the demonstration of how it's changed me. And margin right now is just a difficult area, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I don't have a lot of time, but then the people that I have most natural affinities with who are my age, who also have kids. They don't have a lot of time. So trying to find those times where it can overlap and we can be in each other's lives. It's just, it's really tough. What's the hardest aspect of your job? Yeah. So, you know, the bottom line, my goal is seeing more churches planted in Iowa and I can't do that on my own. It's not Chase planting churches. It's, it's God calling uh, men and women to be a part of that process and calling churches specifically to invest in that process. And, um, we have some great churches in Iowa who are committed to sending and multiplying and making disciples where they are and sending folks to next towns over. Um, but we honestly need, we need more churches 
that are that are bought into that and 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 they are to some degree right they give to the cooperative program they're investing in missions but but they have to take that mantle on locally and personally or i don't think we're going to be able to get at that goal of a healthy multiplying church within easy reach of every Iowan. so um that's what's hardest right now is there there's some churches that i think are, are so poised and God has equipped them for it. And from my perspective, and it's a very limited perspective because I'm not God, but, but I feel like they're just, they're ready and, and I, and they're not jumping, you know? And so, so, so maybe it's patience being patient, knowing that like I, my perspective is limited. And even if I may think from a distance that this church has what it takes to, to send and start another church that, that, that I don't know everything. And, uh, and God has his timing and he has his plan and I can cast vision and I can make sure the path's right. But, but until God is moving in those leaders of that church, I, I just have to wait. So that's, you know, that's hard. It is hard. Patience is interesting. It's like a farmer, you know, we plant, we water, we sow, we seed, like you said, but well, waiting for that harvest sometimes is just a matter of patience because no one makes anything grow. <laughs> you just affect uh, the soil, the circumstances around it. That's all we can do through God's power. And uh, I said this week to someone, I, I think God more often in my life works in a crock pot, not a microwave. That's kind of what I hear you say. And like, it just takes time, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I want to accelerate things as much as I can, but, uh, but yeah, my job has to be to wait. I'm looking out the window in front of me at my garden in my backyard and know for sure that, I didn't make any of that stuff grow. I, I may have killed a couple of things, <laughs> but, uh, but, but really it's, it's just waiting. You know, I think about the scriptures talking about the farmer and how he plants and he, mm-hmm. he just waits, you know, and worrying and, and straining on his own doesn't really train change a lot. Plus the seeds are in the ground and if the skies don't bring the rain. So, Hey, what an ordained yeah. picture for you to be looking at outside your window in this conversation today. I had no idea that you were yeah. looking at your garden. That's pretty yeah. uh, sovereignic, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one last question for you. What's something you really hope to see God do before you die? Easiest answer that comes to mind, Todd, is just for m- my family, my wife and kids to flourish in their faith and, and in life generally, you know? So uh, them to having saving faith in Jesus, a strong relationship with them, regardless of what they may do for a living or where they may be, um, and, and that's a good answer. I think that's a right answer. You know, Amen. so I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to change. I don't want to change that. But other than that, I think in general, it's just the church embracing a vision for kingdom that is about human flourishing that moves beyond, you know, a sacred secular divide that we can empower men and women of faith to see kingdom value God's glory in in the mundane, you know, and this is connected to our conversation earlier about what's a missionary. Um, You know, the clergification of ministry and mission has worked against us so much. Mm. There's a whole topic there. You're right. And so, um, so I want to see a a vision for, for faithfulness with Jesus that uh, empowers the school teacher to see how her teaching in a public school is glorifying to God uh, and how that is about bringing kingdom to, to the place that God has put her. I think of Jeff Christofferson's statement that kingdom is what life is like when Jesus gets his way. And so be thinking about 
if Jesus gets his way in this classroom, what is it like? And the same thing for the stay-at-home mom, for, for her to see kingdom value in what she does for the engineer, for the, for the janitor, for the senior adult who's retired, um, to, to see that their, their culture making, their otherwise mundane life actually is a kingdom calling and that they don't have to think of what they're doing when they make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich for their kids is something other than obedience and faithfulness to Jesus. And that'll be so different. And I think that's, that's part of the evangelistic thing and that slow cooker uh, relational way that God is proving that this is his world and his people uh, have something that other people need will, will be how we do all of those things in a new way. And man, ugh, the world needs that so bad, Todd. Um, yeah. It does. Yeah. Chase, thank you so much. Uh, love hearing your heartbeat. Uh, I'm thankful that God's crossed our paths. We we're friends and co-workers. I enjoy that. And uh, thanks for taking time to talk today about just your own personal life, your own testimony, and then also about the passion God's put in your heart for church planting. Uh, if someone wanted to connect with you in some way, or maybe somebody's listening and wants to take you up on the challenge of planting in Iowa, <laughs> uh, how can they get hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can email me at cabner, A-B-N-E-R, at nam.net. That's N-A-M-B as in boy, dot net. And maybe Todd can throw that in the show notes. Uh, I'd be happy sure. to hear from you. Uh, I, I use Twitter some, so you can connect with me there. It's just at Chase Abner. My name all together, lowercase, no spaces. And if you want some good suggestions for music, Chase has got the most eclectic collection of music, and he is a, a connoisseur of of music. And so pick his brain. You'll love what he tells you, I'm sure. I call myself a librarian. I like to know a lot about what's out there. Okay. So, hey, Chase, thanks people. a bunch. Really yeah, appreciate yeah, it. You're all right. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.